Grab your pre-workout and turn up that volume. It is time for a new episode of the Powerlifters Den with your host, Cam Smith. All right. Welcome, everybody, to episode 10 of the Powerlifters Den. Whoa! <laughs> I'm Cam Smith, and I am joining Steve Tripp today down here at Top Strength. Hello, all. This is Strip Cam. We're back with the Top Strength Project episode. I don't know. Maybe a little more than that, maybe a little less. And Cam came on over here. We decided to do this kind of hybrid um, episode that's going to be aired on both of our platforms. So uh, make sure to, to listen in. Cam, thanks for coming by. No problem. Thanks for having me. So you start. What do you got for me? How, how did we become connected? Remind me, on social media? Yeah, so we've, uh, I was, came down here for the first time uh, back in 2021 for an RPS meet. And uh, that's when I kind of first knew of who you were. What was the call? What was that called again? We just talked about it. Yeah, all out of bubble gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Alex, Alex Oman, Oman is yeah, like yep. he's, he's kind of the local uh, RPS guy, and um, you know we always talked about holding meets here. And, and one of the meets that we did, not to interrupt, but it's a quick story. He he asked to hold a meet here. He wanted to do it. Um, you know, mirrored after this film, I, I came here to do two things: kick ass and chew bubble gum and all out of bubble gum. Uh, what movie is that? I can't. Think it's of not that. Roadhouse. No, because no. Roadhouse is the one with um, Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah. Where he was like a, a bodyguard or, or like a, a he ran security. It was a similar style movie like that, like a classic '80s '90s action film. Yeah, with uh, Roddy Piper. I think that's right. right yeah. That's right. And he yeah. shows up to a, a bar or, or a tough area with a, with, with you know with, with a gun. He's like, came with two things: chew ass and kick uh, kick ass and chew <laughs> bubble gum and all the bubble gum. And he's like, "That's the theme of it." And I said, "All right, great. Yeah, whatever." So um, he asked to take this picture for the the Facebook uh, or the Instagram ad of me kind of dressed up with a with a button down with the sleeves cut off and, and a rifle or holding a barbell like a rifle. And then um, when he came to set the meet up, you know, there's always a banner, there's always a backdrop. Yeah. So um, and you know, at some point, one of the people setting up the meet set up the backdrop, and Alex kept like, "Hey man, you want to set up the backdrop?" And I'm <laughs> like, "Yeah, go ahead, set it up because it's a one man job." And he kept bringing it up, kept bringing it up. We're setting up the rigs, and because anyone gets an RPS, they have this, they have these big, huge monos, this big, huge equipment. So we're setting up all the stuff. He just kept hitting at um, this backdrop. Do you want to set the backdrop? I'm like, all right, fine. Let's set up the backdrop after like an hour, and we roll it out, and it's this big, huge, it's the big blown up photo of me with that ridiculous outfit on. And he goes, "You like it?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's great." And he said, "You can keep it if you want." I'm like, "Fantastic!" So it's actually hanging up outside on on the side of the wall. But that was a, that was actually a very good meet, very well run. And I have every intention of um, doing some more RPS meets here in the future because Alex is a great guy and runs a pretty tight ship. So Yeah, he, he runs things great. He makes the sport, honestly, very enjoyable, especially for beginners. Yeah, and, you know, it's also it's also just nice because we do mostly USPA here. We recently started doing, doing USAPL, and I've done um, one RPS. And it's just nice because they all appeal to different crowds, different demographics. Um, you know, there's kind of a specific niche that tend to compete RPS, same thing with USPA and USAPL. So it's nice to be able to bring everybody together because that's really the whole business model of this gym is, is a true collaborative to bring people who are passionate about strength together, whatever it may be, whatever their practice, whatever federations they may compete in, just to get together and, uh, and train. So that's kind of the jam. But that's right. I remember you, you did do that meet. And that was what, three years ago? Uh, yeah, uh, February 2021. Yep, so, that sounds about right. Yeah, so like 30 months ago. Um, and then What'd first, you total there? Uh, I think like 1,400. So yeah. It was um, actually, that was my first full power meet. So Is that kind of what you were looking for or what? Um, honestly, I just kind of wanted to just go get there. Your, and get your feet wet? Get my feet wet. So And I was still doing college football at the time, so it was kind of like a last-minute decision. I think I prepped for like four weeks and just hopped in it. Yeah. Yeah, but... Now that I'm done with football, I'm kind of full into it. So okay, yeah. So I'll be. Competing. Have you competed since? 
Yeah, so I did the all out of bubble gum the following year at uh, Mass Iron. Okay, and then um, this past April down at Metfit, uh, it was the New England Revolution, and so that was my first meet. I just started using wraps, so that was my first wrapped meet. What do you think about that? It was awesome. Um, I I love the wraps. Yeah, they're fun. How much did they put on your squat? Um, Honestly, I'd say probably about sixty pounds. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure your knees don't bother you anymore. No, No, just wrap them up tight. Yep. Yeah, yeah, so I'll be competing again in September with uh, John Ropo down in uh, Blue Collar Barbell on Long Island. I wonder if um, the next time I plan to do a pilot to me will be next April or around there. If not the Ghost Clash, I'd probably do the, the RPS one here. But I'd like to squat eight in sleeves before going to wraps, if ever. I'll probably just stay sleeves forever. Yeah. People people say that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a purist. <laughs> one of the guys, James, here the other day was, was kind of busting my balls. He was like, Steve doesn't like anything... That makes you stronger. And I was like, other than muscles. I like yeah. muscles. I want to do it with my muscles rather yeah. than wraps, you know? Um, and I, I'm fine with wraps. I'm fine with I'm fine with gear, whatever. But it should be different. It should be different classes. Yeah. You know, like the, 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 the raw being raw and and wraps and sleeves both being in that same category. I think, I mean, you, you can distinguish an open powerlifting. You can yep. search and you can say, well, all right, here's the squat. Was it wrapped or was it raw? So you can distinguish in the search, but as far as like the record, as far as the total, as far as the classes, they tend to fall in the same classes. But um, how is it in RPS? One's classic, one's modern? Yeah, so raw classic is just naked knees, and then raw modern is sleeves and wraps, and that's kind of why I switched to wraps because I've only competed in RPS so far. Yeah. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to be squatting with people using wraps, might as well level the playing field yeah and that is kind of the thing and and there there are i'm i'm not sure how it is federation of federation but i'm pretty sure that consistently it it is different classes like like raw or modern or classic or modern or classic or raw but as far as like the best lifter and the winner of the classes it's it's the same there's only one best overall where maybe Mm. there could be an overall in sleeve maybe overall in rabbit it just gets kind of messy yeah obviously you have the sumo uh the sumo conventional argument as well too like you know that th- those should be different lifts i mean yeah. i don't know but it, it, it is what it is i, I actually um I, i've done a couple posts up recently just kind of like trying to get the conversation started if anyone would want to compete in a federation that is just sleeves um you know strict on the bed they, they fix the bench rule with the elbows passing 90 degrees but also ju- just conventional if someone wanted to do like more like a purist i don't i don't know what to call it but yeah. a powerful league where it's just sleeves you know no high arch circus act bench press bullshit and no sumo deadlift and all conventional deadlift. who who would be interested in competing in that and i think i got probably around 120 to 130 votes and only five or six people said no. So yeah. it, se- it seems like there would be a market for it. And I wonder how, 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 how what it would take to put together, you know, my own or our own, if I were to get a people together to get, get our own federations going. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty interesting too. I mean, if you, when you think about a deadlift, like everyone thinks a conventional deadlift, that is the deadlift. Like, so I agree. I mean, obviously it comes down to leverages, but I think at, at heart, a deadlift is a conventional thing. So. Yeah. And you just, w- when you look at a record that's been up for, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years, and you see this big 300-pound guy pull an eight or 900-pound deadlift conventional. You know, he starts on the floor. The bar ends up at his hips. And then you see another guy, current, you know, 50 pounds lighter or in the same weight class, whatever it may be, and then he pulls a sumo total plate deadlift and beats the record. When you put, the, when you put those lifts side by side, 
it's just th- that's the argument to me. It's just hard to say that it's the same lift. It's not the same lift. Yeah. It's just a different lift. Yeah. Not to take away from one or the other. It's just a different lift, and that's just the kind of the way that it looks that that, that it looks to me. Um, but it is what it is. I, I, I digress. Yeah, I mean, it could be a people just adapting to the rules of the sport too. And my, it's like, well, because because that th- that that's my issue is that, you know, people are. And it's always been this way, but you, you just see more of it that people are able to manipulate, not necessarily manipulate, but they stay within the rules of the sport. They stay within, you know, the requirements for a lift to be considered three whites, for a lift to be considered good, and and, and they, they they meander and navigate within the rules to be to use as much lever to use as much leverage advantage as possible, and shorten the range of motion as much as possible to be able to be able to put as much weight as they can on the bar for the spirit of competition, and and that makes sense, but. I just I can't help but feel like that just kind of takes away from what to me strength sports should be what strength competing should be like it's the strongest guy yeah. not necessarily the guy that can get into the the best position or, or, or manipulate his leverages in a way to move as much from A to B and 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 you know to have a means to be able to shorten the range of motion to be able to you know execute a heavier lift but it's it's a different lift you know yeah. so that's that's kind of the one thing that just you know it's it's always a topic of discussion, but it's just something that I look at and I feel a certain way about it, and I just kind of like let it go. It, it it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I, I I'll, I'll never complain. I can never see myself complaining or giving somebody a hard time or not giving somebody credit if they out pull me in a meet because they're a sumo guy. You know, I just I'm fortunate that I've been able to been able to pull more conventional. Yeah. I'm sure I'll meet my match one day. <laughs> but um, you know, that's kind of the thing. It's just. If I want to pull sumo, fine. Just you have to help pull me for to to win. Yeah, and I think actually, um, you've competed in like one of the the super total type meets before, right? Too. I think that's a pretty cool like. Yeah, so super total is something we do here. Yeah, yeah. So I actually originally created super total when I opened my first location, um, and we actually have our tenth, which is fucking crazy because it's supposed to be an annual thing. But a couple years at the old gym, I did two in the same year. But I've been open for I think coming up on eight years. But this is our tenth super total, and that just combines Olympic lifting with powerlifting but because of um what ended up happening in the onset is all all the meatheads and powerlifters would would try to learn ollie in two months (laughs) and it was just a fucking disaster so i said well listen why don't we also allow lock so instead of snatch instead of barbell snap you could do log viper which is essentially a one motion from the hips so that would replace the snatch and then you could do a log clean and press instead of a uh, a barbell clean and press and then the your, your total weight lifted i did um I did straight weight, straight weight for a while, just divided by body weight for a while. But I recently have been doing the Wilkes calculator, which makes so much more sense. Yeah. Um, it was just a straight weight thing, and the, the results don't come out dramatically different. But what ends up happening is a lot of smaller guys, a lot of 140, 160, 170 pound guys, were winning super total every year because bigger guys just just couldn't compete. Yeah. They just, just couldn't put up as much of a total. So using a Wilkes or a Dots just seemed to make more sense. But that's our biggest event each year. Just about that that draws a huge crowd, especially because you have people that are you know world class and very proficient that just want to have some fun. Yeah. And you also have people that have never lifted or competed in their lives and want to have the opportunity to get in front of like judges and get in the whole atmosphere and, and hit squat bench dead before actually getting into a federation, paying the fee, getting a singlet, getting a certain gear. I'm very laid back. Wear what you want. If you want to wear a singlet, you can, whatever. If you, whatever gear you want, it's fine. I'm fine with wrist wraps and elbow sleeves. It's it's really just kind of more of a fun thing than ever, but it gets really competitive. And the winner gets, um, I have these big obnoxious World Wrestling Federation style belts yeah. for a male and a female. So they get a belt. 
Um, and then they, hopefully they come back the next year, defend their title, and they get a free membership until the following Super Total. So oh, it's been awesome. popular. It's yeah. been cool. I originally did it because I wanted to collaborate with um, local CrossFit gyms. I yeah. wanted them to come work out with us, but none. none there's fucking crickets every year. They never showed up. And I'm really excited because I'm actually collaborating with Ocean State CrossFit now for something we're calling the Battle Royale, which is going to be um, uh, a strongman competition on the first day, which is, I believe, September 23rd. So we have a five-event strongman show here. Um, log and axle overhead, car deadlift, yoke to farmers. Then there's a carry medley. I believe it's a, what the hell is it? I think it's three implements. I think it's a Husafel, a sandbag, and a keg. And then the final event is a stone over bar air wrap. So we're, we're going to, um, there's going to be teams of four of which are two male, two female. So CrossFit's going to put together four-person teams, and we're going to put together four-person teams. So we're going to do a strongman day here, and then the next day, on Sunday the 24th, we're going to CrossFit, and we're going to do a five-event CrossFit competition. Oh, that's cool. And they released all the events. They're all super gas, like Metcon, um, Benchmark Wads. So, I mean, I'm really excited to, to, to get, you know, to see what these guys and girls from CrossFit can do with the strongman stuff in their hands. But what I'm really looking forward to, to be honest, is all the guys and girls from here who think they're fit and think they're strong and think they're in shape yep. going over to CrossFit and just getting fucking buckled. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's funny. CrossFit, like, obviously has a lot of, um, I guess, polarizing opinions on it. But then yeah. you, you watch the people who are, like, legitimately good at it and you're like, that shit's ridiculously hard. I get, like... <laughs> Yeah, well, the the, the poll. I, I'm glad you brought up that point. I think it's something worth talking about. I'm interested to hear your take on that because I think the whole, the whole, um, and I talk about this a lot. The criticism CrossFit gets is just it just it's not very sensible. For one, all the all the bodybuilders and powerlifters and and snooty strength athletes of the world and and, and the bodybuilding community, of course, um, probably more than anyone else, criticize CrossFit a lot, and they yeah. say, oh, they don't have good technique. It's dangerous. This, that, and the other. And it's like, listen, at least they have they're struggling with technique with like a snatch or a clean and jerk or a muscle up yeah. or a complex calisthenic gymnastic style exercise where 90% of people in the gym have awful technique on a fucking tricep push down. So yeah. it's like, who, who are you to say anything? And in all honesty, when it comes to strength sports, particularly powerlifting, strongman, um, it's gotten much more popular over the last five years, the last decade specifically yeah. and in my opinion we owe that to crossfit it wasn't until crossfit that people were filling up 20 30,000 people arenas to watch people lift weights yeah it also got women excited about training for strength you know because 10 15 years ago when you thought about strong men and strong women you thought about powerlifters you thought about the super heavies yeah they were the only ones you know and also because powerlifting years ago was all geared and a lot of people would put on as much body mass as possible to stuff into a suit because yeah. they could move more weight but now all of a sudden you saw these women in particular but also these men who are just super athletic um you know they, they don't have a bodybuilder aesthetic but they're lean they're muscular they're, they're sexy they look good yeah. and um the women especially i mean super super strong amazingly capable and it got a lot of people off their ass and excited about lifting weights and when you think about it, the best way to get better at nothing is to do everything, which is essentially CrossFit. Yeah. And that's what happens to, you know, 95% of people who do CrossFit is that they get in shape, they make tremendous progress, they become a part of something, just the class structure just lends itself to, you know, people really pushing the limits to be competitive with one another. But also what it happens is, is, is people will eventually plateau. And that's when they come to see us because yep. they want to learn more about Ollie. They want to learn more about Strongman. They want to learn more about powerlifting. So they start to specialize more because yep. they have to in order to break the plateau. Or, of course, they get hurt and they come and see us yep. to get fixed. So yeah. um, I, I, I like, like, without question, 
think that we owe a lot to CrossFit as far as the popularization of of strength athletics in 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 general pop. It got many more people interested in strength training as a whole and competing in strength sports. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it, it gets a lot of publicity. I mean, like my opinion is there's no such thing as bad publicity. So even when it was getting made fun of a few years ago, like it's still bringing people into the sport. Whether so. they're watching and talking shit or watching with their jaws on the floor, they're still watching. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And um, I think one more point I'd like to make about CrossFit. When you look at like powerlifting, for example, we both compete in powerlifting. 20 years ago, a 2,000 pound total was a big deal. Yeah. Today, a 2,000 pound total is still a big, still a big deal. Now, there, you, you can chart and, and we're all getting stronger slowly. You know, there, there, there's an increase. Yeah. Everyone's getting stronger, but it's like, you can like graph it on a chart, like it makes sense, yeah. right? As things should, like we should progress, we should increase human potential, we should learn more and more. But the thing with CrossFit, and really what lends itself to this, I think, is because of how different it is and how varied it is. If you look at like the 2005 games and take the top 10 male athletes and top 10 female athletes from the, from the 2005 games, if you were to like transport them to the 2010 or 2015 games, they wouldn't be able to complete a single fucking event. Yeah. How much better crossfitters get at crossfit each year it's, it's finally starting to level off a bit because it's been around for a while but the shit they were doing each year after year was just amazing i mean in the early 2000s the games were a shit show i mean they looked awful now yeah. these guys and girls are, are they are athletes and they are unbelievable what they put their bodies through and they, they literally specialize in everything i mean some of the athletes lack in certain things but the ones that are at the top they are world class in fucking everything. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, like the the hybrid athlete is like is a really interesting person to look at. Yeah. So I mean, those the CrossFit athletes are kind of like the peak hybrid athletes. And and like you know, so we're we're on uh, you know when you look at powerlifting, you're on a very specific end of the spectrum. You are trying to lift as much weight as possible from A to B in, a, in three very specific lifts, and it takes five, 10 seconds to do it, you know, and that's it. But the thing is, is like when you look at CrossFit, they'll, they'll, they'll do a, a triathlon where they're riding bicycles, mountain bikes, one-speed mountain bikes through the sand, then they swim on a beach and then run through a mountainside. That's day one. And then they have a max snatch or a max deadlift or a ladder the next day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'd be bedridden after running <laughs> that triathlete. Yeah. I'd nah. be fucking bedridden. Yeah, that's insane. So it's just... There's a lot of immeasurable aspects, you know. When you when when we periodize and program and and, and write down our training, it's it, there are a lot of quantifiable metrics like, you know, RIR, RPE, sets, reps, weight, how much we're doing, um, the percentage of our max that we're training at, and it's all monitored and you can it's really nice. You can kind of mathematically map it out and then follow the program and make adjustments. But just imagine preparing yourself for the games. How do you fucking even program for that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I- I couldn't imagine. It has to be, I mean, it's a year round thing. Yeah. Like you have different cycles where the, maybe they'll swing. They, they can't do it all at once. There has to be periods throughout the year where they do a month or so where they focus on X, Y, and Z. And then the next month they focus on something else and they're able to somehow bring it all together on game day. So super impressive. And um, another reason why I like having this conversation is, is perhaps one of the most frustrating things for me when it comes to a uh, pile of things specifically is, is because it's so finite, and because it's so specific, because you know the bar you're using, you know the movement, you know the lift, you have to wear certain gear, that it's judged a certain way, it's, 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 in, a, it's in such a vacuum that that lends itself to people to be kind of super OCD yeah. about, about everything. 
And I don't know how, how you all are at this, but like, you know, you, you've been to my gym and I'm sure you have a very well outfitted gym. So I have a ton of equipment. I have a ton of shit. And it drives me fucking bonkers when these people who compete in powerlifting, who really haven't even accomplished a goddamn thing in the sport, if, if they can't lift on the, because I have, I have four combo racks, right? But we usually use the SOA for competition, usually. And if they can't squat bench, squat and bench on that platform with decalibrated plates with the specific bar they do, it's, a, it's like they'll just sit there and wait. because they And I have fucking 20 squat racks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it just drives me crazy. It's like you want to know what the strongest guys and girls in the world don't worry about? All the shit you're obsessing over. Yeah. Because they're busy fucking lifting, dude. The body doesn't know. Just get under there and, and fucking train. I mean, shit, man. You're two weeks out, three weeks out, four weeks out. Sure. Yeah. I like getting under calibrated plates. I like using a specific bar. I like getting in the rack. But these people are like year-round, like, zealots, you know? <laughs> it has to all be in line. And it's like, guys, you, 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 you're kind of new to competing, but you know... It's fucking chaos on yeah. game day. Yeah. You, you have a specific warm routine where you have to hit certain sets with certain rest periods at certain weights, and that's the only way you can be, you can hit that top single. You're fucked in competition. Yeah. I mean, how, how many times are you compete and you, you, you can't even get half your warm-ups done? You just got to perform. Yeah. You know, you don't know what's going to be available to you. I mean, you competed at MetFit, which is a very well-outfitted gym, uh, Mass Iron, you said in here. Yep. But, um, you know, eventually at some point, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll do a show that's at like a hall. Like I've done a couple of shows at Mohegan Sun. Yeah. And there's nothing there, dude. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's great to go to a gym with equipment. You have everything you need to warm up. But when you when you go to certain venues, you're, you're, you're fucked. So if you're one of these people that needs to have all your ducks in a row to, to hit, a, hit a top squat, um, come game day, I think you're going to struggle a lot. Yeah. I mean, honestly, with I think people who are super specific like that, it kind of kind of gets tiresome like watching them. You're like, just just use a different bar like it's not going to change that much yeah and i honestly i think that's part of the reason why i'm more attracted to like conjugate just because you're changing it up so much you're, yeah you're not really specifying until you're kind of a few weeks out and you're always changing with whether it's ar a different type of bar a different type of setup like everything changes so you don't have to sit around and wait for a certain rack you're, well i think when it comes to conjugate i think if i describe conjugate in one word i'd say i'd say it's misunderstood yeah right um because there's a lot of different applications to conjugate, of course, but whenever you think conjugate, you think West Side, you think Louis Simmons. And when you think of him, and actually actually having Greg, did you listen to the Greg Panora podcast we did? I have not gone to So it. we had Greg on. Check it out, because he well, obviously worked alongside Louis, yeah. and um, he has some very accurate and very specific kind of things to say when it comes to conjugate and Louis Simmons. For one, Louis hated raw lifting. He hated it. He had no interest in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of the main understandings and one of the minor things of, of conjugate is that one could argue that it's not very effective for raw lifters because of Louis's application of it meaning like you see a lot of partial reps you see a lot of high box squats yep. or box squats above parallels a lot of partial pulls and a lot of block presses which makes sense because if you're training in gear with suits those help you out of the bottom so you're really more focused on lockout strength um, when it comes to training adaptations and then also when you when you when you make choices like high bar um, high box high box squats and things like that and partial range deadlifts, you're overloading the end range. Which when you're training raw is the easiest part of lift. When you're training geared, it kind of flips it on its ass. Yeah. So that was kind of the argument as to you know why are you using conjugate methods when you're training raw, but it's just being able to take the constant variation, the accommodating resistance like we talked about, and applying those to 
kind of more raw modalities like focusing on the bottom end, which is going to be the hardest position for all of us, spending more time in the bottom and overloading the end range with things like accommodating resistance where it can be a bit more um, effective. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. And like, I, th I think the really cool thing about conjugate too, is it has applications in every modality there is, whether it's even strongman athletes, college athletes, like you can just use it in so many ways. So I do agree that it's very misunderstood because people just automatically think conjugate West side equip lifting, but yeah. there's so many more applications to it. And I'm really glad you said that because that's really the most important thing is like as lifters, as athletes, as coaches, as people who claim to be authentically interested in this sport and what makes us better at it. It's like, you need to be able to look at all different training modalities and pull things that you like and things that you don't and make it your own to apply to whatever you're doing. So there are many conjugate concepts like constant variation, like accommodating resistance, like speed days and max effort days that make a ton of sense yeah. if applied using, you know, certain tactics to get what you want, you know, and what it comes down to really is, is assessing your weak points, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, that's how training should be is that you basically use these tools to – so you, you look at, say, your competition squat, for example, and you say, all right, what sucks about that? Great. How, what's, what's a barbell I can use that will put me in a position to overload that weak point? How can I add accommodating resistance creatively to, to, to help with that? And what, what box height should I use? What tempo should I use to address that specific – ailment or compensatory strategy or weakness of the lift because if you improve that part you're going to improve the whole right yeah i totally because like right now so i'm like i think five weeks out and how, um, how long do you usually prep for a meet 12 16 weeks i do eight with two deloads yep and for me i feel like that's just the best way to do it because especially with deadlift my cns fries quick yeah and so i like to do eight weeks um but i do, I do what's your frequency your squatting once a week deadlifting once a week yeah, so right, I'm doing two bench days and then a squat and a deadlift. But on the deadlift day, I usually do accessory box squats, like a dynamic uh, eight by two, eight by three with like bands, SSB. Honestly, it's one of my favorite movements too. So. Yeah. But I find that um, changing up the bars like that, like for right now I'm using SSB. I was doing SSB on squats today because... Even this close, you're five weeks out and you're still using SSB. Yeah, so I, I like to break it up into two-week blocks. So I have four two-week blocks. So yep. after today, next four weeks are just straight bar. But the reason I was using the, I was using the Cambridge bar and then the SSB because my weak point when I'm squatting is my back. So that those bars fold me basically. Yeah. So that's how I address the weak points. And that's how I kind of um, program for my clients as well. Cause I do some coaching. So I have a few athletes and I found that especially when you're going more of a conjugate style training that the two week blocks help. Speaking specifically on the constant rotation of barbells, just to give uh, the listeners some context. So, for example, when you see conjugate training, let's say, if, let's just use the squat as an example. So, like, one week you'll do an SSB squat with chain weight to a high box squat, paused. Then the next week you may do the same thing but with a camber bar. And then the next week you may do no box with a long pause with a straight bar. So you're constantly recycling barbells. Mm -hmm. And um, my first exposure to conjugates when I had met I had Matt Wenning up here for a weekend and he has a really interesting um and effective uh, debatably effective approach to conjugate where um the way he communicates why constantly changing barbells and loading patterns is so important is because of soft tissue damage and, and chronic pain that so basically if, if, if for those of you who always train your low bar back squat for example we're not robots but 
let's assume that if you're a pretty skilled squatter, your low bar back squat is pretty similar every time. No matter how heavy it is, no matter how many reps you're doing, your low bar back squat, given your dimensions, your level lengths, the way that you squat, the way that you're developed, should be pretty similar every time you do it. So with that being said, you have to think that's going to provide the same amount of stress on the joints, ligaments, and tendons every time you do it. Because if you think about like, if you think about like a cable on a machine, or or when you look at machines, when when a machine does a specific movement every single time, because that's that machine's purpose. When you look at cables, a lot of the times the cables. I'm, I'm always replacing cables here. And the whole cable's fucking brand new, but there's one spot on that cable that wears and wears and wears and then eventually snaps. So think about, because that cable does the same job over and over again, and every time that cable is lifted to do that job at that angle for that range, it's going to put the most stress on one point in that cable. So that cable frays there and eventually breaks there. So that could also be said about your, you know, like your quad tendon, yeah, right? So it's like, when you have knee pain, it's usually like right fucking there. So if you're doing a low bar back squat, it's loading that spot on that. Every ligament, tendon, and joint in that repetitive movement is going to receive stress in a certain spot the most every single time. So Matt's constant variation of barbells, even though he's training the squat because it's loaded differently, it's going to change the way it provides stress to those joints, ligaments, and tendons involved in the movement. So basically you don't, cause as much damage and you increase your ceiling yeah so that was kind of his explanation as to why there was constant variations of bars but then when i had greg here it was very interesting because he was like well the reason why we always rotate bars is because when you're a multiplier even a single ply lifter you're not doing reps you're maxing out so i don't want to max out my low bar back squat every fucking squat session i always rotate bars because i'm always hitting a max so it might be a, a max ssb with chains it might be a max camber bar with bands or it might be a max straight bar whatever it may be but he that's why that's why he claimed there was the constant rotation and when he was doing the programming while he was at uh, for a period of time while he was at west side he claimed he never really had uh, a specific plan or parameter he would just come up with a lift and they would max it that day and that's literally how they trained and i mean it was effective yeah Sure. I think what was effective more so than the actual science and application of conjugate is that um, Stan Efferding actually talked about this in one of his uh, Rhino rants. They said, you know, why are so many West Side guys so strong? And he just very simply said, he's like, because Louie was a fucking savage and everyone that trained there was a savage and they all just tore each other's faces off all the time and, and they were able to get the most out of each other. Whether their training tactics were super effective or not, what was effective is that they were all there to 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 get the absolute most out of each other and that's what kind of lended itself to them then building so many champions yeah i mean i guess that's kind of a good point to go into too is the people you surround yourself with um i think for me personally i'm like i always want to be the weakest guy in the gym yeah because i say all the time the strongest guy in the room's in the wrong room yeah the smartest guy in the room's in the wrong room yeah so surrounding yourself with the right people like at west side for example is just you are being pushed to your limits every single time. It doesn't really matter what you're, I mean, obviously it matters what you're doing. Programming is important. Managing recovery is important. But if you're not around the right people, you're not going to fucking go anywhere. Well, I mean, and did, I don't always fucking feel like doing it, man. Yeah. I don't always feel like doing it. That was a huge uh, epiphany for me when I was doing an interview with this guy, uh, Tom McMahon, we were doing, we were putting together a little bit of a documentary. And one of the things he asked um, was if I ever have bad days. And my answer was, yeah. I have I have 
more bad days than I have good days. If in all honesty, if I had to think about it, it'd probably be ten to one. Probably for every one day I feel great, there's ten days where I feel like dog shit. But I still fucking show up. You yeah. still got to show up. You still got to do what you need to do because that has to be what separates the, the people who are truly successful and aren't are the ones that are able to show up on the days they don't feel like it and still do what needs to be done. And how impactful and essential it is is it is to be a part of a group to hold each other accountable. I mean, I'm the owner of this gym. Um, so I guess you could say I'm like the leader, but I lean on the members and clients and, and my staff here just as much as they lean on me. Cause when I show up here and I don't feel like getting it, you know, there's always half a dozen guys and girls here fucking killing themselves. So yeah. I got to show up and that's huge, huge. Yeah. I mean, there's always someone in the room keeping everybody up, whether it's just, you're the one that day or someone else, but it's always important to have that. It's infectious. Yeah. It's infectious. And you know what, what what's even more infectious than that? Kind of like the power of positivity and being motivated and being disciplined, how 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 um how contagious that is. I, I would argue that that laziness, excuses and, and, and that kind of whole negative um aura is is ten times as contagious. Oh, yeah, you know, it's it's, sure. it's fucking dangerous. You know, that's why I I really try and avoid people like that, kind of the naysayers and the, the kind of more excuse-oriented people because it, it's draining. It just it just robs you of your fuel. It's the opposite of fuel. And I just can't be around people like that because it, it, it affects me dramatically. Yeah, I mean, you can you can walk into a gym and usually get a, a sense of if that's the energy there and that's not the gym you want to be in. Yeah, so for sure. And Where I, do you train mostly? So I train at Mass Iron right now, but when I was back at school, I was training at Evolve. Um, so they just opened up in February. I was doing, I was a trainer there for a little bit, just like kind of on the side, just when I wasn't in class. And um, we kind of, we've gotten a really good tight knit family going there. Like every Sunday, like I was up there earlier today, every Sunday we all squat, we call it church because that's what we do. Every Sunday we squat heavy and yep. the support there is absolutely insane. I've probably said this on every single episode so far, just because of how I've never been part of a family like that before. Yeah. And you know, the value just having eyes on you. Yeah, just having eyes because we can only see so much. We can only feel so much. We can only see so much in footage. And I think we also um, fall victim to our own biases. You know, there's certain things that we like doing and don't like doing, and things that we want and don't want. And I, I think sometimes we we kind of become our own worst enemies, where we, we we may stick to things that we think we're good at, and maybe not address what needs to be addressed. But when you have eyes on you, someone's going to pick something up that you might not that could have you know tremendous ROI if you were to implement something to address it. And that's why you have to have you know people that. Um, are around you that watch it and are, and are equally, if not more critical of you than you are of yourself. Yeah, no, right? for sure. I mean, especially people in this sport, we're all very critical of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, but sometimes there's just things you overlook, you can't see, or if you're down in the dumps, I guess, mentally, and you just don't want to pick it up. That's when they come in. Yeah. I mean, I have, I could come up with countless stories of when I had a big attempt that day or a big lift that day and I was hitting warms and they weren't feeling so good. And I put the weight on the bar and I'll go and take my, you know, I usually take a little piss or something or maybe I have to take a dump before a huge PR attempt and I'll go and I'm not really feeling it and I'm kind of questioning myself and I'll walk out on the floor and all the guys and girls stop what they're doing. They're around the platform and, and I look at them and they all have this look in their eye of just complete confidence in me. Like, like there's, there's, they, they just, they're like, it's already done. They have complete confidence. I'm going to be able to execute and get it done and then all of a sudden, I'm a believer too. And it's, mm -hmm. it, it becomes bigger than me. You know, I, I obviously want to succeed. I obviously want to do well. I want to accomplish what I came in to accomplish that day. But when there's that many people around you, even bigger than that, it's like, I don't want to let them down. Yeah. You know? And, um, 
and that has a tremendous impact on, on me when training, when competing the whole night. I mean, during COVID, um, when we were shut down, I obviously had access to the gym. So I'd come here and train on my own. And um, it was fucking hard, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was hard. Yeah. You know, no matter how high I turn the music up, no matter, no matter, no matter um, you know, it's great to have a, a facility this to myself, but it, it was tough. It was tough not having people around. I, I like having, um, for lack of a better word, an audience, you yeah. know? It, it, it definitely helps me a ton. And kind of to speak on that a bit, I'm interested in how much of impact that was in your training. Because when I look at people like, uh, I'm sure you've, you know, followed Dorian Yates and, and people of that sort. I have such, such tremendous respect respect and admiration for someone like Dorian who really just trained for himself. I don't know how familiar with his story, but he trained in this hole in the wall in, in the UK, I believe, um, a dungeon gym. You know, social media wasn't around, but there were magazines. But no one ever saw this guy or heard about this guy, and he would show up to the Olympia every fucking year, take his hoodie off, and he would just destroy everybody. And then he would go back to his fucking hole yep. and no one hear from him, not a word, until the next year where he'd do the same thing. And I think that's so admirable because I, I know personally how much of an impact and, and how much the limited amount of success I've been able to have in this realm is dependent upon the people around me. Yeah. But being able to really just do it for yourself and be motivated intrinsically like that I think is um is just super impressive because it's a huge component it's got to be at least a third of 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 what lends itself to me being able to accomplish what I accomplish is the people behind me um the thought of being able to accomplish what I've accomplished thus far alone and to be able to execute on game day without these people behind me is um I don't know I don't think I'd be able to do it yeah I mean I think personally for me it kind of translates to like my career in football like sometimes you're in a play and you're like, fuck, I don't want to be here right now. But you look to your left and the guy next to you, you're playing for him too. You're yeah. Just playing for you. And I think that that translates to powerlifting. And for me personally, I, I would say, I guess a new mantra would be like, everyone likes to train alone until you're with the right people. Yep. So once you find that, those people, you, you it, it changes everything. Yeah, very, very well put. And and I'm glad you brought up that point because when you think about, you know, a lot of guys that compete in strength sports will, will say that they much, they'd much rather compete in an individual sport because it's up to them. Whether they succeed or whether they fail, it's their fault. You know, it, it, it's my fault. If I don't hit my lift, if I don't hit my training, if I don't execute, it all comes down to me. Whether, whether win or lose, it's up to me. Whereas in team sports, you're kind of reliant on, um, on everyone else, especially with football. There's 11 yeah. guys on the field, 11 guys have a job. And if you think about it, like on offense, if, if all 11 guys do their job, you score a touchdown every single play. Yeah. But who makes plays? Who steps up? Everyone has to do their job in order for it to, to happen. But the way that you spoke about powerlifting is it, it's just as much a team sport as an individual sport. Like, yeah, it's up to us. We're competing, but we need our team in order to be able to rise up. We need that support system. Yeah, and for me personally, because I, I did, uh, so I did wrestling in college and high school for a little bit too, and I think- She had exposure to both. Yeah, so I think wrestling and I was track and field and, um, and, 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 and uh, track and field and, and football. So I had the individual and the team as well. Yeah, so uh, track and field is similar to that too. And like wrestling, it's like, yeah, it, you're in a tournament. You're win, trying to win the tournament yourself, but you're at a duel. You're you're with your team. You score points for your team still. So it's kind of like powerlifting. It's like you're representing your team here, but you're trying to put out the best numbers you can. So I think it, the translation for that for me was kind of crazy because I was like, oh, this is very similar to wrestling for me. Obviously, wearing a singlet too, it's kind of funny, but yeah. Yep. 
So uh, we, we kind of got ahead of ourselves. T- tell us a little bit about your background, how you got kind of involved in competing in strength sports. I mean, did you always, were you always a, a gym guy before and after and during football or? No. So um, I would say I didn't really start taking lifting seriously until going into my junior year of high school, which honestly, if I could have one regret in life, it would be to have started lifting earlier, especially now the way it's affected my life. Yeah. But I think, so what got me into it was I started kind of taking health more seriously and I wanted to get better at football. So um, my dad would, we would do these obstacle course races like, like the Spartan and things like that. Yep. And that's kind of what sparked my interest. And then we started going to the local Y that I actually just stopped going to the past few months. And um, so that's when I kind of, and then I started getting stronger and I'm like, I got addicted to the weights as everyone does. Yeah. And um, then I really saw it starting to translate to football and then it kind of, you could see it slowly creep up, creep up past football. I mean, football obviously has a special place in my heart, but I think part, like, I'd say one of my favorite parts of football was training. Yeah. And obviously game day, best part, but being able to be in the gym with the guys and just work your ass off and just see how much you can progress. So that's when I kind of fell in love with it. And then I was like, hmm, I think it's time to try a powerlifting meet. So I did a push-pull meet at uh, East Coast Fitness in Lakeville. Um, I think that was like August of 2020. And then after that, I was I was hooked. I'm like, I'm a What made you go uh, push-pull rather than a full meet? Just squat wasn't um, like your, 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 your most confident lift or you're just better at deadlift and bench? Or? It's actually the complete opposite. Uh, squat's my favorite lift by far. I think the reason I did it was um, one, my friend was doing it already. And he was actually kind of part of an influence as well. He was like a training partner at the Y with me for a little bit. And when he told me he was doing one, I was like, all right, it's time to do one. And I didn't really know much of where to find a meet. What are the federations? So he was like, just do this one with me. So I just hopped in it and. And he was doing push pulls. You did the same. Yeah. 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 I, I got started competing because when I opened my first location, this is probably seven and a half years ago. Um, one of the coaches that was training with me had a girl, he was a competitive powerlifter and she was looking to beat the, um, the 17 and under deadlift world record. I think it was two Oh five at the time. Mm-hmm. So I got one to do this meet. So I said, oh, I guess I'll do it with you. I'll try it. And then yeah. I ended up winning. I didn't win the overall because I was, they, they were geared guys. Yeah. And it was the, in, in SPF, the, the multiply and single ply was the same class as the raw. So I actually was in the third flight. And I didn't know what that meant, but yeah. my buddy Tony, who um, was a competitive pilot at the time, was there, and he's like, "You know, you're you're, you're in the third flight," and I'm like, "Yeah, what's that mean?" He's like, "Well, it's, it's you and all the gear guys. I was the only <laughs> raw guy, so I ended up winning my weight class, but I lost the overall yeah. to um, a gear guy who I think he, he squatted like nine change in a suit. I think he benched five with a shirt." Um, he only deadlifted six, and I think I deadlifted 675 in my first meet. So I out-deadlifted him, but I couldn't compete with him in the suit, obviously. So he took the overall, but I won my class, and she broke the record. So long story short, I was kind of like, well, I guess I'm a powerlifter now. So I just kind of kept doing it. I, I never had any intention to compete in strengths, but I never thought I'd be any good. Yeah. But um, that happened, and then a few months later is when I did my uh, strongman show for the same reason. One of the trainers there was competitive strongman. He was doing New York Strongest Man. This was uh, November, I believe, of 2017 maybe earlier in the year, whatever it was. But I said, I'll do it with you. So I jumped in. I ended up winning New York, and then I went on to nationals, and I said, I guess I'm a strong man now. So that's how I got involved in competing. Um, and I wonder if I had gotten involved earlier, like right out of college or even in college, because I went to Bridgewater State. Yep. And um, 
I, I wasn't aware of, of Springfield, really, because I went to Bridgewater kind of, it was like a last-second decision. But um, if I had gone to Springfield, they had um, a club powerlifting team and a club strongman team. So I, I may have gotten involved in it earlier in college if I, if I had gone that route, and I, I wonder how much further along I'd be. But it is what it is. I'm just fortunate that I got involved in it at all. Yeah, no, I, I would say for sure. Like, honestly, I've, I've, I've thought about competing in a strongman competition too, especially being an athlete. It kind of... I feel like it translations pretty well. Yeah. Would you agree with that? Well, I, I mean, my, my I, I, I enjoy strongman. I don't want to say, I could say significantly more than powerlifting. But the bottom line is that powerlifting is the base. You have to be squatting. You have to be pressing. You have to be deadlifting all the time. So I do that year round. So it just makes sense to continue to compete in powerlifting. But I enjoy strongman a bit more for, for a, a lot of reasons. For one, um, comparing football to track and field. So, you know, track and field is obviously a bit more individual, but it's still a team sport. But football, just this, the, 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 the dynamic of football is like you have four quarters and there's multiple plays. And you can fuck up, but you can make up for it. Yep. It's four quarters. You can be down by three touchdowns in the third quarter. You can come back in the first quarter. Yep. So there's, um, there's, there's a bit more grit. There's a bit more balls. There's a bit more strategy. Like it can come down to who wants it more, who wants to fight more till the end. And, and the underdogs, more often than not, can come out on top in a football type setting. Yep. Whereas in track and field, I would, and I would say football is, is kind of a bit more similar to strongman while track and field is a bit more similar to football where you, you know, when you, when you're running track, when you're running uh, a race and when you're doing a throw, you have three attempts and everything's got to fall in place perfectly. You know, when you're going for a max attempt, it all has to fall into place perfectly. Like it's not so much your effort as it is your your poise, your ability to coordinate, your ability to max out and hit that one rep attempt. And you have three attempts at each lift. And if you fuck up, it's fucking over. Yeah. There's no opportunity to really come back. Um, and also, like when when you look at a roster, like you're approaching a powerlifting meet. Like you look at the roster, like you know what's going to happen. You can pretty much you look at a roster, you know who's going to go one, two, three, mm -hmm. given if they hit what they're capable of lifting. Um, you kind of know what's going to happen. Of course, some people can rise up and there can be a battle and someone can hit a big dead to, to do what they need to win, but it's just less likely. Yeah. Whereas when you look at strongman, more similar to football, every event's different. There's usually five events, but each event has the same weight, right? Whether it's a, a max log, a max deadlift, or a hold, they're all worth the same points. Yep. So you can't be a one-trick pony, and it, make, it makes for a much more dynamic competition where, um, you know, you could have a guy who has a ton of horsepower and blows everybody out of the water in the static lifts, like the log, the overhead, um, the deadlift, the stones, things like that. But then when it comes to the other events, like you could have a max distance sandbag or a max distance yoke, you know, they may not be so good there. So you could have a guy who might have taken third or fourth in those events that that guy was so dominant, but these other guys come up and they, they do very well in the other events and, and they're on the podium. Yeah. So it just kind of lends itself for there to be a much more, much, much more variables to the day. And I also, um, this is just, this is a bias. I prefer a heavy AMRAP over a max out any fucking day of the week. The biggest reason being for one, it just, I don't know, max out feels like shit. <laughs> You know, yeah. Like I've, I've, I, I can't think of a time where I've hit an 800 plus deadlift or a 700 plus squat, and I'm like, that felt fucking awesome. <laughs> kind of feels like shit. Yeah. But if, but if I do like a 700 AMRAP deadlift, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven reps, it fucking feels good, and and there's a bit of grit to it. Yeah. Um. The the biggest point I'm trying to make is like, let's say if you and I are head to head in a, in a powerlifting meet, and I've hit 880 in training, but I need 902 to beat you. 
probably not going to get it. Yeah. If I'm an 880 deadlifter, 880, 886, 887, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But when it comes to strongman, let's say if it's a 700 AMRAP deadlift and you go before me and you pull eight, and the most I've hit in training is seven, I'll probably be able to pull nine Yeah. in that show. You know? Yeah. Because you have 60 seconds and it's fucking go time. You know, so there, there's kind of like, that's kind, that's kind of my debate when you're talking about strongman versus powerlifting. The last point I'll make to compare the two is once you become proficient in powerlifting and you're actually a good powerlifter, you can't compete more than once or twice a year. Yeah. You need a full off season, 8, 12, 16 weeks, depending on how fucked up you are. You need you need like a, a postseason. You need an off season, And then you need a 12 to 16 week meat prep. If you want to put pounds on your total, if you're new, you can compete every week. You'll probably be fine, <laughs> you know, but as we get good, like me personally, one, two meets a year at most, if I want to put pounds on my total, yeah. it's a long prep with strongman. It's always different. You could realistically compete at a really high level every month mm -hmm. because it's not always max outs. Sometimes there's endurance. Sometimes there's grip and it kind of lends itself to being able to compete more frequently. Yeah. Arguably than in powerlifting. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, and I mean, I think your good point with kind of like the AMRAP versus like the max out, like strength is just strength. Like there's a certain point, like there's, obviously there's a certain level of grit to it, but at a certain point, you're just, you're topped out with, with like an AMRAP. Like if you just flip, sometimes you can just flip that switch on. Maybe you're just a little bit extra recovered that day. Yeah. You already know, you know what you have to beat at that point. You can, it's just different. So. And the same can be said for a max out. But I don't think it's as much of a variable. I don't think it. Ha I don't. I don't think there's there's as much room for, like you're not going to put thirty pounds on your deadlift because you need it. Yeah. I mean, you might, but if if you if you are able to do that, it's probably because you didn't hit what you were capable of hitting in training. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Like what what's there is there. It seems like a bit more. I yeah. mean, the atmosphere and of course being recovered. You know, you, you have a good taper. You have a good deload before a show. You're feeling great, and you should be able to hit more than you ever hit in the gym on the platform. But I don't think it's as much of a variable as it is in strongman when it comes to AMRAPs and max distance and things like that. Yeah, would you say um, an AMRAP or a max effort would be a more day to day thing? Well, both both of which you're taking it all the way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it also depends on what lift you're doing, right? So I would argue that the deadlift is by far the most costly when it comes to accumulating fatigue. Yeah. So a max deadlift or a deadlift AMRAP, I'm going to need a week or 10 days to recover from that, yeah. depending on how heavy the AMRAP is. If it's an AMRAP like 85% or higher and I'm taking it to the fucking boards, it's going to take a lot out of me. Squats, similar, but not quite as much, you know, um, but yeah, but both of which, I mean, an AMRAP or a max effort, they're not something you can do on the daily. You know, yeah. it's something you got to prepare for. For Like I use AMRAPs a lot in training. Um, so if I do have like an eights block or a fives block or a threes block, my peak will be an AMRAP at a weight that would be my, let's say, let's say I'm doing fives that month. Around 85% should be your five rep max. So I'll usually AMRAP 85% at the end of the month with intent to get more than five, yep. which means that I'm stronger. Yeah. And that's something I prepare for all block long. So it's, it's a three or four week period to prepare myself for that AMRAP. Just like if I were, if I was doing a singles block and preparing for a max, it would be a, a three or four week process to prepare for that max. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, um, being a conjure guy, do you ever use AMRAPs in your training? Or is it usually just max outs? Honestly, I, I really don't do a lot of AMRAP. Um, I occasionally just for, for shits and gigs, honestly. Yeah. Um, definitely not during a prep. 
No, fuck no. So your eight week prep, you're doing a lot of singles. Um, so the the first two blocks, the first four weeks, I've been doing more uh, triples and doubles, and then this last four blocks, it's going to be mostly singles. Yeah. So you hear a lot of guys that prep for meets, especially conjugates. Got a lot of them are hitting doubles and triples right up to the meet. Yeah. They don't even hit a single until the meet, which is interesting. Yeah. So the way that I've been kind of experimenting, I'm still experimenting with it because oh, we all are. Yeah, we all are. So, as you as you should be. Yeah. So yeah. I'm kind of trying to figure out what works best for me and. What I did for last prep was very similar to what I'm doing now, and I felt like everything went very well. I think, if anything, I just maybe went a little too high on percentages, not volume or, like, the programming itself, and I had, like, a little bit of a CNS fry out a few weeks out, so I kind of had to, like, mini deload and then repeak, but it ended up working out. So my approach with this time was to, like, figure out the percentages better stick with everything else similarly are your percentages the same for each lift or do they vary from squat versus bench versus deadlift i would say they are very similar um but for me personally like deadlifts percentages are tend to be lower um one it fries me out way more than any other lift yeah and my translation from a triple to a single is way more different than as far as how much different the weight is, yeah. So your your like max triple or like your training triples for squat are closer to your one rep max than your deadlift would be. So for yeah, for me for a squat, I could probably rep out ninety percent, ninety five percent for doubles, triples sometimes. Deadlift, maybe. Doubt it. I can probably barely do two reps at ninety percent. Yeah. So it's it's weird. It's like a massive jump for me it's not that weird when you think about just the just how, how the lifts you know how they are like when you look at a deadlift it's from the floor yeah so it's like and sometimes the second pull looks faster than the first because you kind of have that little kind of eccentric kind of it's not so much there's no stretch reflex in the deadlift yeah i mean some of us like me in particular i try and create a stretch reflex by the way i take slack and the way that i wedge and pull right off i kind of like wedge it and pull to kind of create some stretch reflex but you're not going to get any stretch reflex in a deadlift compared to what you get in a squat. And that's kind of what makes it more taxing. And that's why it makes more sense to just hit singles on the deadlift, yeah. you know, much further out than you would a squat, you know, you or a bench. You can handle more reps because they're kind of a bit more connected. They flow a bit better yep. than, than it would on, on a deadlift debatably. But something I, I think you, you, you could consider, because this is something that I learned the hard way, was <laughs> I used to prep all my lifts the same as well. And I used to be able to hit my openers um, a week out for all three, you yeah. know, the, the Saturday or Friday before the meet. So like, uh, you know, seven, eight days out of the meet, I'd work up to my openers for my squat, bench, and deadlift. And um, that served me very well for my first handful of meets. But once I started squatting in the sevens and deadlifting in the eights, all of a sudden, I couldn't recover from that. I, I, I tried, I, I, I hit my opener deadlift um, like seven or eight days out a couple years ago. And I was fucking buckled. I, yeah. could, I couldn't even budget on the day. So what I ended up doing... Um, since then is it was a hard pill to swallow but i take my last heavy deadlift probably two and a half or even even three weeks out yeah. from the show funny you say that because um that's actually i just learned that recently from john as well yeah we were doing so i was doing it my last heavy deadlift was we do a second attempt just because you kind of have a goal and i like to aim for a second attempt and then whatever's there for a third don't pick a third yeah, no, same. Yeah. So usually the way that it's mapped out is my, my, my best single in training 
which for my deadlift would be probably two and a half to three weeks out, yep. is going to be my second attempt. Yep. Same thing for my squat. If, if I hit a, if I hit a PR, I, hopefully I hit a PR squat before the meet, that should be my second attempt yep. or something close to it. And then for my first, I take like, you know, two and a half to 5% off that. Yep. And then based on how the second attempt feels, that's how I t- decide the third. Yeah. Right. And I, I kind of like that approach to it too. But so I was doing, I, for my last prep back in April, it was my last deadlift was two and a half weeks out. My last squat was, Two and then bench was a week and a half. And yeah. I found that helped me recover very well. Well, I was always the guy that trained right up to the meet. Yeah. Right up to the meet. And and I was able to do that and I was as successful as I was doing that. But once I got to a certain level of proficiency where fatigue fatigue management is probably the most important thing when it led up to a meet is is being is being is being okay not hitting a heavy deadlift for three weeks. Mm-hmm. But then you know, inversely, when you look at the deadlift, it's the most taxing neurologically, but it's arguably the least skill oriented. Yeah. So, I mean, how much do you really need to deadlift to improve your deadlift? Not as much as the squat and definitely not nearly as much as the bench. For sure. So it's, it's being able to like bite that bullet and accept like, hey, this is my last heavy pull. I'm two and a half or three weeks out from the meet. This is my last heavy pull. I'm going to get it done. And then I'm just going to, I'm just going to practice, yep. you know, like, like my deadlift taper starts two and a half, three weeks out from the meet where my squat taper starts two weeks out or 10 days out like you said my bench seven to ten days so yeah. there's kind of like this cascade of of of, of deloading of deloading and tapering each lift individually as you taper into the meat which is something i i like you 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 communicate i had to learn the hard way yeah no i think it's worked very well and i think it's something that i'm going to continue to do but it's funny you say that about like proficiency like if you know how to deadlift why why are you blowing your load two weeks a week and a half out when you know you come to the platform if you're prepared and deloaded properly and peaked properly, you're not going to forget how to deadlift in two in three, two and a half weeks. Yeah, but th- there's like there's like this mental box you want to check a week out. Like yeah. I, you know, if if I want to hit something in the high eights f- on the day, it's like I want to pull something in the mid eights a week out. Yeah. I'd like to, but yeah. I can't because yeah. I'm not going to be able to recover from it. That's kind of um, you know, w- w- as people are learning to how to set themselves up, it's like fatigue masks performance. So. You know, a month, a month out from a month out, arguably or three weeks out from a meet, there, there's no, there's no training stimulus you can provide your body to be able to adapt and recover from to actually manifest itself on the day. Yeah, like you're, you're not going to make any, you're not going to make any strength progress. You're not, you're not going to have a lift or, or execute a lift or execute a set that's going to, you know offer you actually build more authentic strength that you'll be able to recover from and actually show on the day you know two three weeks out from meet that that has to be done already and then the last three two or three weeks before meet it's really all just just practice just organized practice just kind of being able to move and, and, and kind of grease the groove for lack of a better term while eliciting as much of a recovery spot response as possible um and I, you know, to be honest, I still haven't nailed that. I still haven't figured that out because I, up until recently, the, the last time I competed and all the times before that, I'll usually do a strong man and a powerlifting meet kind of within a month or six weeks from each other. Yep. And I've been able to accomplish what I want to accomplish or close to it up until recently. Um, the last two meets I've done, I did a strong man a month before and, um, you know, now, after experiencing it, I'm like, what the fuck was I thinking? Because there's just no way prepping for, let's say, a five, a one-day five-event strongman, or this last particular one was a, was a two-day ten-event strongman. And there was just, it was a lot to prepare for. To, to peak my squat, I had a, um, an 800 AMRAP deadlift, a 400 AMRAP stone, 
uh, 400 in each hand farmers or 800 farmers. I had a 1200 yoke. So I was like prepping all these lifts while trying to peak my squat. I mean, I was already peaking my deadlift, which worked out plus overhead plus bench. Um, you know, after doing the strongman, thinking that in three or four weeks, I could then just peak my squat bench and deadlift. I was out of my fucking mind. (laughs) So, so this year I have a show coming up in September, um, strongman and October strongman. And then, I'm not going to do it. I was going to do the American pro, yep. but I just, I know I'm not going to be able to do what I want to do. I'm sure I could match my previous best, you know, get around a two K total. But, um, if I want to hit, you know, an 800 squat, a 900 dead, and maybe something in the low 400 bench, it's going to, it's going to have to be a 12 to 16 week powerlifting Pacific prep. Cause it's just too taxing otherwise. Yeah. Uh, I guess trying to balance that is interesting too. So what made you, uh, what kind of gave you that moment of realization that you couldn't do that? feeling like I was going to fucking die. Yeah. Just sick. You just, you just feel like, you know, and I hesitate to talk about this with certain people because when you talk about it with certain people like, Oh yeah, me too, man. I need a deal. And it's like, you're not even fucking doing anything. You have no idea what I'm talking about, but like true deep central nervous system fatigue is, um, it's a motherfucker. You know, it's like, it fucks with your appetite. You're, it's like, you're so exhausted and tired, but you can't sleep because your mind is super upregulated because you're super sympathetic in your neural drive. Um, and you're just kind of so go, go, go that you're burning the candle at both ends. And usually throughout training, as you're climbing up through your preparation, you feel good, you feel good. And then let's say if I peak really well for the strong man, I can do very, very well. Usually after a strongman show, you want to take a light, easy week and like not really have to do anything. The last thing you want to do after a strongman show is get into a heavy bar and squat or pull a heavy deadlift. But you finish up a a, a strongman show and then you get right into the end of a powerlifting prep. Fatigue is super high and it's just too much to manage. Um, So again, I think... The ability to do something like that depends upon how proficient you are. You know, if if you're a strong guy or girl, you know, you're managing triple body weight lifts or more, it's just going to tax you. You're not going to be able to recover from it. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, and something I I realized, and this is take this has probably been part of my biggest like mental journey into the sport is the better you get at the lifts and the more you become involved in the sport and specify, you realize that less is more. Yeah. So, but, but that's because your less is so much better quality than what it was in the past. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, Kind of the way to communicate that is like you take somebody who's green, you know, maybe doing this for three to five years when they hit a max lift, their max, it's not like your or my max, right? Because let's just say someone that's been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, when they hit a max lift, hopefully they've done enough research and learned enough and and practiced enough that they're really able to squeeze everything they fucking have to hit that lift they they're able to coordinate all their muscles they're able to push harder they're able to be super uncomfortable under you know a massive amount of weight all these factors basically lends itself for for that individual to really put everything they have behind this lift where a less skilled person they're trying as hard as they possibly can but they just don't have the ability just to wring the last bit out of that rag like someone else that's more proficient does so that of course does more central nervous system damage than the person even though the 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 weaker less proficient person their their lifting is relative to them it's as much as they can possibly lift but it doesn't represent how much their system can arguably really lift so it's not as taxing i have clients that i max out every fucking time they work out yeah and i keep doing it 
until they get all fucked up because they can just keep maxing and keep maxing and keep maxing. Um, it doesn't necessarily represent their true max and therefore doesn't lend itself to as much damage to the central nervous system. Yeah, I th- actually, I think that brings up an interesting point too because you see like these newer lifters and you, you'll watch a video of them like max out on a squat or a deadlift and their form's fine. It's like technically proficient, but it's just something about it. You're like, why doesn't, it looks like you should be able to do more. And then but you, you put another 10 pounds on, they get buckled. Exactly. But yeah. then you see these like very proficient lifters and they're doing a squat, they're turning purple, they're shaking, but their form doesn't break down. It's like, a, it's almost like a level of intensity. And it's kind of, I think it's something you learn through proficiency as well as like a mindset too, to attack it yeah. in a controlled chaos way. Yep. So I think that's a pretty interesting point. Something else that I believe is developed. If you look at, you know, all the guys and girls we watch on Instagram if they ever fail a lift, which they rarely do, they fail it with perfect technique. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't grind it out. You don't see guys and girls that, that we admire, they're the best in the world. They're, they're never grinding out lifts where it looks like shit. It's like, that's the thing is, is a lot of guys and girls will kind of feel accomplished or pat themselves on the back for a com- completing a lift that that would get three whites in a competition, but it looks like shit. Mm-hmm. You're off balance, you're not coordinated, you're losing your position. That, that That's a failed lift. That's a failed lift, and that's how we need to, to look at that. If it looks, even if it would have gotten three whites in a, and even if it would have gotten three whites in a competition, even if you hit depth, even if you got your calls, if, if you're in training and the lift looks like shit, it's a failed lift. Yeah. You know, you want to be able to find the threshold where it looks technologically perfect and you're able to execute. And if you're navigating through lift coming up in a squat and you start to lose that technique, it's over. That's why the spotters are there. Yep. Ha- let, let, let them take it from you, dump it, whatever it may be, because th- that's bad practice. And when you're struggling like that and fighting through a rep, you're doing a ton of unnecessary damage. Yeah. And I think through the trials and tribulations of, of hard training and learning and understanding that that you know, that grinding through reps does more harm than good. That's why you don't see the best guys in the, and girls in the world doing it. Because they just, it's just, it's completely counterproductive. Yeah, I would agree. And like, I would say that's true for me too. Because like, say I'm uh, maxing out on a squat or hitting like a very close to max effort. If I feel my form starting to break down, I just say, take it. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt myself. First of all, that's the biggest concern. Yep. But I'm not, I don't want people to see a shit lift and be like, oh, look at this rep. But think about it intrinsically. You you don't want your brain and your central nervous system to experience a lift that's that's poorly patterned because that's bad practice. You, you know, when, when you think about training for strength, I, I I I argue that the best way to perceive it is is it's skill work. It's skill. Very similar to like shooting archery or shooting or shooting a free throw shot. I use this analogy all the time. Like if you want to improve your free throw shot you're not taking half-court bombers. Because yeah. the way a half-court bomber, even, even, even if you can hit 10 in a row from half-court, the way that shot looks, the way you have to coordinate and move your body, that's not your jump shot. That's not your free throw shot. So the more you can kind of practice the timing and the coordination of that free throw shot proficiently, and then maybe take a step back and have the same technique, take a step back, have the same technique, that's the same thing as a squat bench or deadlift. It's like the squat needs to look a certain way. Yeah. And then when you add weight, it can slow down a little bit, but it needs to look the same way, no matter how heavy it gets. So it's being able to navigate within that threshold and have the discipline to not exceed that. That's always going to lend itself to the best end result. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. Yeah. And I would say like, I guess the only caveat or exception I would say for this scenario is in a meet. If, if you're, if you're hitting a max effort, lift, exactly on the day, yeah, on the day, if something breaks down, but you still get three whites, 
that's okay. Yeah. But if you're in training, especially if you're six, seven, eight weeks out and you're fucking grinding through reps, yeah. dude, you're fucking up. Yeah. You got to take, just, just do it. Take five or 10% off your training max and just get some more quality work in. I'm telling you if, you, if you're fighting through all these reps, you're training too heavy, you're accumulating too much fatigue and more than likely bad practice, you're going to fuck yourself on the day. You're much better off staying within that kind of threshold that we talked about. Yeah, and it's going to translate to the to the meat too. Yeah. You're going to be more proficient, so you're less likely to have one of those issues anyways. So. Yeah, and I, kind of what that comes down to is just having the long ball approach. You know, we, we all want to do well. We all want to do as well as we possibly can, but it has to be, you know, put it off, put it off, put it off. You know, make sure all the boxes are checked because um, if you think about it, the strongest guys and girls in the world are the ones that have been able to do it the longest and, and stay healthy. There's, of course, these phenoms that just come onto the scene and, and, and blast it. But, you know, a lot of the times they, they, don't, they don't last. They come and they go. A lot of these phenoms that come and break all these records and look amazing, it's like, who the fuck is this guy? He's been in the game for two years. He's breaking all these records. Yep. They usually leave just as soon as they come in but the guys you know the, the, the dan bells the john hacks the you know the, the, the best guys and girls in the world you know the steffi cohen's you, you just look 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 at their body of work over five seven ten fifteen years you know it's just slow and steady progress they always do just enough to win mm -hmm. and they just keep going and keep going and keep going they're able to stay healthy and they're able to keep you know keep keep adding to their total yeah and like how you said these phenoms like i, I like to call them flash in the pan yep they just show up. You're like, whoa, who the fuck is this person? They just, I don't know, they pull out a 2,000 total, and you're like, I've never even heard of this person before. And then two years from now, you're like, wh what happened to them? Yeah. They got injured. They didn't have the dedication to come back from it. They weren't focused on the quality of their reps. They were focused on how much they're lifting. And they could have a coach. They could do it on their own. But if they're not going to dedicate themselves to doing it right, it, it's not sustainable. So you've spoken a bit about um, your style of training, you know, conjugate at its base. Let's talk about the other um, the other pillars that are equally as important. Anyone that has accomplished anything in, in this industry or this sport knows that. It's, it's not just training. Um, it's equal parts training, equal parts nutrition, equal parts uh, rest, recovery, sleep, whatever it may be. So to me, those are the three pillars. Yep. The fourth one being hormones. But um, when we look at those three pillars, specifically training, nutrition and uh recovery are there any things specific you let's talk about nutrition first do you kind of follow a specific plan so actually so this is this is probably my weakest point which is something that i'm fully investing in now yeah i'm already seeing a translation from it without a doubt dude and it's huge nutrition is fucking massive yeah so i've never really had a great appetite but i've recently hired a nutrition coach uh, his name's Dave Halloran. Uh, he used to do bodybuilding. He's friends with John Ropo. He owns uh, Driven and Webster Mass. Yep. And um, I hired him. He gives me a meal plan. So I went from, I would barely, I would never eat breakfast. I would eat lunch, dinner, and that was it. And people would always be like, how are you this size if you barely eat that much? I'm like, I don't know. But I didn't have a problem with it. I thought everything was going well. But now I'm eating six meals a day. And I've been doing that for about two weeks. And everything is just clicking so much better. And the problem is it's not that I don't know how to eat properly. I know how to meal plan. I know how to do all that. It's just, I think it's more of a mental thing for me. Well, I also think, you know, to kind of play devil's advocate, it, there's just so much bullshit out there that if, if someone like yourself is like, Oh, I want to figure out nutrition. Yeah. Like, where the fuck do you begin, dude? There's just so, and everyone's out there is trying to, there's all these different, um, you know, keto, intermittent fasting, um, high carb, low carb, high fat, 
um, high protein, whatever it may be. And, 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 and of course the products, the supplements, everyone's trying to sell you their Kool-Aid and say that Kool-Aid's better than this Kool-Aid. So it's, you know, there's, it, we're fortunate to have access to so much information, but a lot of it's fucking garbage. Yeah. So when it comes to trying to learn how to train or how to eat or what to do to improve your recovery, there's, the, it, it's almost like information overload, a lot of which is garbage. And a lot of the times people, because of that, I find a lot of people majoring in the minors. So a lot of times people will follow a YouTube channel or, or watch content from, you know, people who are the best in the world. And they're talking about what they're doing. Yeah. But these, these guys and girls, you know, they're talking about what they're doing it's it's they're doing that stuff because they're top two percent in the world so th that's what they have to do uh -huh. to be able to get that extra edge but the meat and potatoes the important stuff they're already doing that and they've been doing it for decades yeah so what ends up happening is when when people watch this they, they take that stuff out of context and that's what they want to focus on they won't and they, they end up majoring in the minors and not doing the most important stuff yeah. which which is the boring stuff that, that, that's what yields the best results um what, what, what's your meal composition like? Do you follow like a macro plan or, or how, how specific is it? Yeah, so he gives me a macro plan. and Do you fill it in with whatever you want? Yeah, so he gives a list of foods to like choose from. That's good, yeah. And for me, at first I was like, I want a meal plan where it's like, hey, I want you to eat six eggs and a bowl of oatmeal for breakfast. But now that I'm kind of learning it, I think it's good to develop good habits for me. Yeah. And, and you have to experiment with different sources because yeah. we're not what we eat, we're what we absorb. Yep. So, um, you know, when, when you're developing a plan or someone's developing a plan for you, um, you know, in my experience, because I work with a lot of people on nutrition, I'll give them a plan and I expect to modify it in the beginning. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give certain recommended sources, but depending on how those sources agree with the individual, those things, need, some things can be taken out and managed in the onset. But you, you find out what digests well, what, what makes you feel good, what makes you perform well, and, and that's kind of when, when it comes down to sources. Yeah, and for me, I... I tend to have some pretty like gut health issues in the past. And now that I'm kind of working on that, it's been getting a lot better. But um, like, for example, like I can't drink a whey protein shake or even isolate it. It'll make me throw up. So it's are you, uh, do, are you, do you have adverse reactions to dairy? Do you not handle dairy? Well, that's the weird part is I'm fine with dairy. I could eat a bowl of ice cream. I could eat a bag of cheese if I wanted to. It's, yep. So I haven't quite figured that out yet. And that's something that I'm learning, but with regulating my food and kind of not doing an elimination diet, but Picking things that I know are working for me. No, it, it is an elimination diet. It's just not as severe as cutting it, cutting down to meat and eggs and then adding things in. Yeah, but that that's that's that should be the course of action. Is essentially when people start following plans, is you start when you're on a plan, you eat very specific things, then you feel how they react to them. A lot of these people who say, "Oh, I have IBS or I have this disease or I have," really all that is is you're eating things that just don't agree with you. Yeah, and once you figure out what does agree, you 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 can a lot of the times like when people have something like celiac, I'm almost like that. It does kind of serve you because no one should be eating fucking gluten. Mm -hmm. You're so allergic to it, you have to go to the hospital. So that's kind of great. I mean, no one should be. I mean, I, I would argue that everybody has some type of ad adverse reaction to, to 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 digesting gluten. Some people don't feel it at all. Some people have to go to the hospital. So just you know, more often than not, avoiding that stuff tends to serve people better. It tends to offer better digestion, less bloating, less water retention, um, better energy, better recovery. You know, when when I eat off plan or when I eat things that don't agree with me. Um, all my aches and pains, joint pain, um, bloating, I just kind of feel like garbage. Um, all my injuries seem to kind of manifest into so much more if I'm eating things that don't agree with me rather than, than when I just stick to the plan and, and know what's good. Yeah, and for me, this is kind of like the last piece of the puzzle. Yep. 
And it's now that I'm finally starting to, I guess, complete the puzzle, it's, it's already showing its outcomes and I'm enjoying it so much. Um, how, how's your weight? Are you, do you kind of stay kind of within the class? Do you have to do a big cut or? So, right. So with, when I was during football, I was just, weight was all over the place and I would tend to lose weight during football season because one, I wasn't eating what I should be and I was in probably a major deficit, but um, yeah, I think it's safe to say your activity level upregulates a little bit in season versus off yeah, season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, so I was anywhere from like I would come in during camp around two forty. By the end of the season, like down to like two twenty five. And so I got back up for around two forty five for my meet, and I did like a mini cut. Just didn't eat dinner, drink water after six p.m. And then I was like two thirty nine at weigh in. And then I was training, training, and then I realized I kept dropping weight again. I was down to like 233 about two weeks ago. Yep. And now that I've been eating consistently the six meals a day, I'm back up to 243. But I feel like I'm not, I don't look fluffier or I feel like I'm tighter. I feel like I look better and I just feel so much better. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you're on it, when you're on an effective plan, your body's just going to hold so much more fluid and water and hydration in the muscle rather than in fat cells. So you're going to look and be able to perform so much better. Yeah. So good. You, you, you recently kind of went down the nutrition rabbit hole. What, what about um, rest recovery? How, how's your sleep? Um, so my sleep is something that I take like it's a high importance. I mean, obviously, like you said, the pillars and sleep is something that's always been on high importance for me. Um, I wouldn't say I consistently get eight hours, but I would say I'm 90 percent good on my sleep. So obviously sleep's the number one for recovery. Anything specifically you do to facilitate that or do you have any strategy? Just you just always been a good sleeper. So. I'm actually not really a good sleeper, so I... Because I'm fucking horrendous. Yeah. And I just kind of accepted that and managed that until, you know, I started getting involved in this and started getting better and realizing, like, hey, man, I got to figure my fucking sleep out. And I'm still figuring it out to this day, but it's much better. Yeah, so I take melatonin and ashwagandha, and I feel like that has helped me gotten really good sleep. Yep. Um, I was taking ZMA before, as that zinc magnesium, and that also helped. I just haven't hopped back on it in a while. Yeah. But... Um, I think when you prioritize sleep, the, it's like one of the fastest, like, you're like, holy shit. This, it I makes everything else better. Yeah. I mean, Stan Efferding, his vertical diet book, which is a book about dieting, the first chapter is sleep and the importance of sleep. Yeah. It doesn't say a word about food. The first thing is sleep. Um, speaking of food and sleep, do you tend to eat right before bed or are you doing six meals a day now? Because I do the same yep. and I literally have my last meal, swallow my last bite, brush my teeth, go to bed. That's how it is every night. Yeah, I would say generally that's what it is. I'll I'll eat, brush my teeth, watch a, a couple episodes of the show, and then I'm out. Yeah. So, um, I I would argue I, I probably sleep better on a full stomach than I would an empty stomach. So that that's why I do. That. I mean, I do that out of necessity to get the calories in that I'm supposed to get in. Yep. If I could finish all my calories at 7 p.m. and and maybe fall asleep on an empty stomach, I would. Maybe I'd sleep better. Maybe on an empty stomach, things like ashwagandha and melatonin and ZMA would would digest better. You feel the effects more because I, I assume if I have a belly full of food and I'm, cause I, I, I have a belly full of food and I take all my subs yep. and it's like, I wonder how long this stuff is going to take before it actually gets digested. Um, but that's just what I've been doing. And, and I think that, I think that works good for me. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. I would say for me too, on a night that I don't get good sleep, anytime that I wake up, I wake up because I'm hungry. Yeah. Like I'll wake up and eat and then I'm right back to sleep. So it's kind of funny that, you can, you can kind of look at it, and it's kind of interesting. I wonder, I honestly don't know the answer to it. So, Well, think, thinking about that, if you are waking up because you're hungry, then maybe you should prioritize getting more food in before you sleep. Just make sure you're full yeah. because you don't want to have that kind of sleep interruption. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, sleep's enormous, and it's something that um, you know, it's something that more people are talking about, especially over the last five years or so. Because it, you know, I always knew it was important to sleep, but it wasn't until recently that more people are talking about the importance. So there's actually uh, an episode on Joe Rogan um, where he talks to that sleep guy, and you know, it's a great like many of his episodes. It gives you a freaking bachelor's degree in sleep, <laughs> but it's stressful because this guy is so obsessed with sleep. He talks about how detrimental it is to not get adequate sleep. And after listening to that show, I was like having a panic. I was like, I better, yeah. I better, I better figure this shit out because if I don't, I'm gonna fucking die. Yeah, you know, because he was so intense about his specifics with sleep and everything like that. But it's it's super important. And there's a lot of things you can do to improve. Um, you know, like he said, he does melatonin, ZMA, um, eating right before bed. Seems like he could probably use a little more food to not wake up but also i spoke about this on a, on a few uh, a few episodes ago um you know we all have our own procedure and protocol before we go to the gym right i have a very specific meal before i eat i usually eat an hour and a half before i lift you know maybe i have music on i i'm, I'm visualizing my workout i have my pre-workout supplementation i have a very specific i have a very specific box to check that i do religiously every day before i train why don't i have I noticed, I was like, why don't I have a similar setup with that before bed? Yeah. You know? And now I do. I have a very specific protocol. For one, I use those uh, blue blocker glasses. Yep. I think those are super valuable, especially where perhaps one of the biggest thing that affects people's sleep negatively is being on screens all the time, yep. being around, uh, you know, ambient light and things like that. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your body's ability. Um, for me, my eyes, for lack of a better way to put it, my eyes aren't tired, right? Yeah. So I'll, like, lay down in bed and I'll close my eyes and my eyes are still wide awake, I'm still very stimulated and upregulated. But when I throw those glasses on, I believe it kind of helps the body naturally uh, release melatonin like it should, but um, it blocks that light out. So as soon as I get home, um, I throw those glasses on and I, I have my last meal and, and I you know, and I watch shows and I do my work on my phone, doing work on the computer with those with those glasses on. I also make sure to turn the... Um, the night mode on? Yeah. yeah. I, I drown that right out. And it's so funny because when I first do it, it looks like my screen's black and I can't see a goddamn thing. <laughs> but five minutes later, I can read it just fine. Yeah. And um, those glasses, I think, have such an impact because after having them on for five minutes, if I take them off, the, the light kind of like hurts my eyes. So it definitely has an impact. Yeah. Um, another thing, temperature is always super important. Um, I like like probably in the mid-60s for me. Oh, yeah. The, the colder, the better. Yep. Um, within reason. Um, but perhaps one of the, one of the, the favorite things I, I got that um had such a huge impact, huge ROI was I got one of those weighted blankets. Yeah, I have like a thirty or forty pound weighted blanket. Um, that thing's the fucking bomb. <laughs> For one, just just the weight yeah. on me. I don't know if it's like a comfort thing exactly, or what, yeah. but it just feels nice. It also tends to stay cool. Yep. Like the, the the surface of the blanket itself is very very cool, and that just feels nice. But it keeps me warm. Um, weighted blanket. If, if, if any of the listeners haven't tried a weighted, I just got one on Amazon, Not, nothing specific. I just kind of got the biggest, heaviest one that I could find. <laughs> yep. And the thing's fucking awesome that I, that, 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 and, and what's great about it is it, it works year round. Even now when it's hot, I mean, my temperature is pretty regulated at my place. Like I said, it's usually 65, but during the winter, um, when it's colder, I'll have a fleece blanket under the weighted blanket for extra warmth. And then during the summer I have just the weighted blanket and it works. It works very, very well. Yeah, I think for I think the, so. The reasoning behind it is the it's like like you said like a comfort thing. So like I would say a lot of reasons people can't sleep, including myself, is like a levels of anxiety. Yeah. So the that release of anxiety, it it, it kind of like flipping a switch. It's like all right, uh, it makes you feel f almost like safe. Yeah. 
almost almost like this almost like there's a bunch of people on top of you kind of like fucking keeping you keeping you safe yeah but it just feels nice it's fucking heavy though <laughs> like like when i go to pull the thing up it's it's like it's like a two-hand job <laughs> like i gotta fucking whoop, pull the thing over um yeah temperature's huge but just um yeah trying to get away from from screens getting the light dim and also just just like i mentally prepare myself and i visualize i get myself hyped up for training i try and mentally like I focus on my breathing, just try and calm things down a bit and just kind of get myself in a relaxed state. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I happen to own a gym and, you know, I, I work with a lot of different people. My phone's always fucking going off. So I'm very heavily stimulated all the time. And unless I, unless I specifically, purposefully give myself the opportunity to wind down and actually consciously execute that, I, I, I won't. I won't. So that's all. That's all super helpful. Yeah. I guess we can continue talking about recovery outside of obviously sleeping. Number one, um, what, what if you had to pick a few like main tools, whether it be an ice bath, a roller, anything? Like, what are your what are your staples? Steps, walking. Yep. Um, you know, because I'm I'm an achy fuck, and a lot of the times when people are hurt or having pain, they think they need rest. And I mean, if something's torn, if something's broken, yeah, you got to stay off it. But the sooner you can get moving, the better. And just walking. Yep. Um, low back pain. Um, creating peripheral circulation, increasing appetite, getting blood flow, um, promoting waste products to come out of uh, cells to get new nutrients in. I think walking is fantastic for that. Um, and I hate to say it because it's 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 like it's it's a fad now, like like um, cupping was ten years ago. I don't know if you remember 10, 10 years ago or so when all the swimmers had cupping marks all over. It was like, ooh, cupping! I should do cupping. This new thing, cupping. It's like, listen, jackass, cupping's been around for fucking five million years from the Chinese, and you don't train nearly hard enough to, to <laughs> need cupping. Um, but but cold exposure, dude. Cold exposure is the fucking jam. Fuck yeah. I think it's the shit, and I've always thought it was the shit, specifically because of football. So yep. um, they gave us ice baths after couple yeah. sessions and um i was really tight with the trainers because i was I, I got no head-on collision before college and i i shattered my jaw broke both arms broke both legs so i was super achy and just in pain um playing ball and so i was very close with the trainers so when they offered ice baths i was all over it so i would just sit in the ice tub after every double session my, my senior year when i was my biggest my strongest i was doing the most damage to others and myself at that year and i did i was like wolverine from those fucking ice baths oh yeah and i always heard the studies i always heard the studies that um that, that it's it's um it counteracts the body's natural inflammatory processes and it's not good for recovery and that you shouldn't ice wounds but I never really bought too much into that because I knew how I anecdotally felt after practice and how much better I recovered. Now that it's become more popular, there's been more research that does make a bit more sense and offers more context to that claim. Yeah. You shouldn't ice plunge directly after strength training, but particularly hypertrophy training because of you know the pump. When your body's naturally inflamed, you yeah. want that to happen. And ice bathing is a tremendously powerful anti-inflammatory. So to to jump into a cold plunge post-strength or hypertrophy training would be counterproductive. But after running, after practice, I would argue that I think it's very, very beneficial. Yeah, for me, when I was, I would, I would do the same thing. Are you doing yeah. cold exposure now? Yeah, so I do it like once a week now, and I'll do it on my off day. So How I, do you do it? Do you have a, a tub? or? Yeah, I bought like a 100-gallon pig trough at Track Supply, so I'll go yep. down to the store, fill it up with ice, but... I do want to invest in like a one of those plunges. Or those There's a lot of uh, cheap options now. The one that I got is like nine grand, but I got it because it's at the gym and it's yeah. for commercial use and it has its own digital filter and everything. But they have ones that have pumps, um, or you could use ice. But they, they they make 
standalone ones that you could, and I, I almost want to get one because mine here is indoors. I'd love to be able to just jump in and get underwater. Yep. Um, but I, I have to be kind of careful because I don't want to make a mess in there. But they have those like fold up blow up ones that yeah. I could just jump in outside that I think would be great because I do it just about daily if I can. But yeah. it's because I have access to it. Yeah, when I was in, during camp, I would literally do it after. And that's when I, that was kind of my first exposure to it because, and then everyone started falling on the wave slowly. And then after practice, the line was getting longer. I'm like, I'm going first. Like I've been doing this for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you guys are doing it, but don't, but I was, I've been here. Yeah. 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 So that's something for me. And that's kind of something that I've just, it's amazing how well you feel after it's some people are like, I get honestly, they're pussies about it. And for me, it's, but that's the value. I never feel like getting in that fucking thing. Not one time am I ever like I, I, I want to do this, but I I, I, I want to do it, but I don't I don't feel like it. It's hard every time, but every time I get out, I'm like that was fucking money. I might just be sick in the head then. I you <laughs> love it? Oh, I've literally fallen asleep in ice baths before because of how. What temperature do you usually go at? Do you do you track it? Um, I try to get it to it's close to fifty or yeah, like forty eight fifty. Um, I'd like to be able to. Obviously, I can't get it super low just because of my setup. But I think ideally I'd like to be able to get to a point where I'm doing 15 minutes at 45. Yeah. So when I started, um, I had it at like 57, 60, and I, I I couldn't I couldn't get my arms under my arms would have hurt like a motherfucker. But I could do my legs. So once I could get completely submerged up to my up to my neck at 60, that took about three or four bouts, and I was able to be underneath for five minutes completely underneath and then i went down to 55 degrees and i had to restart i had to do just my lower body and then i would do my my entire body for a minute off and on off and on and then i got down i, I can do 55 i can just about take a nap i'm pretty comfortable at 55 yeah. most days if i'm really sore and inflamed it's it's a totally different experience but um now i'm at like 50 to 52 and I'm trying to get to a point. I can do 50-52 for as long as I want without my arms, but I put my arms and my neck in, and I'm, I'm trying to accumulate a bit more and get you know be able to do like 10 minutes at 50 degrees comfortably. Yeah. But I have the sauna too. So um, on, on on off days I do the contrast bastard. I think is the shit. Yeah, I think contrast is really cool too. If it to me, it's like if you think about it, you're constricting, opening, so it's just pump, exactly it's pump. It's like a you're becoming a pump. Yeah, it, your your body becomes a heart at that point. Yep, that's exactly just, the way that I communicate. And when you're in extreme cold, your body's going to pull all the peripheral circulation to the torso, yep. so that you don't die to protect your organs. And then when you're extremely hot, all the circulation goes to the periphery to allow to perspire to regulate your temperature. So just like you said, you're creating this total body pump. Um, so when you talk about the importance of getting waste products out of cells and new nutrients in, it basically debatably upregulates that whole process. For sure. You know? So that's fantastic for recovery and, and kind of getting nutrients around, but also to just my mood. Like if, if when I get out of the cold plunge, I am in a significantly better headspace and mood. For sure. Without a doubt. And that's not me trying to sell it. Um, because I, I notice it on, on a especially and I think it, it might just be as simple as because I'm in less pain. Like when I'm in pain, I'm, I, I have a bad fucking attitude. Yeah. But I get out of that and I feel better. I'll be out here on the floor and I'll be talking. You know, uh, people who normally I don't want to say a word to because they drive me nuts. I'll be like, "Hey, what's up? How's it going? What are you training?" Today? I'm like, "Why am I talking to this? I don't even like this fucking guy." I just got out of the cold tub. I feel good. I'm I, I, I'm in a great mood. You know. I know. It's almost like you have a couple. It's like having a couple of drinks. Honestly, seriously, you get out and you're like, "I just feel so good right now." Yeah. And um, that's something I want to do too. Is like, Intex makes like a four hundred dollar like hot tub, mm -hmm. and I want to be able to get one of that so I can do hot the hot cold. Same yeah. thing, yeah. yeah. Um, but 
something else to speak about with cold plunging that I think is, is very interesting that you can experience in real time is I'm starting to learn a bit more about kind of our, our neural pathways, the parasympathetic versus sympathetic. So we're, we're, we're always sympathetic today, which is kind of our fight or flight. We're always engaged. We're always kind of go, go, go. That's just kind of the way of the world. Yep. Um, me personally, even more so just with the nature of my day to day. So we're always sympathetic. And that obviously affects our ability to recover. Being sympathetic all the time, being go, go, go all the time, it makes it harder to access our parasympathetic state, which is essentially our recovery state. And the less time you spend in your parasympathetic, the less you're able to really ignite your sympathetic. It's almost like your fight or flight kind of gets dull a bit because yeah. you're always there. You're always using it. It's kind of like in a video game when you go into turbo mode, you start to lose life. Yep. It's kind of the same idea. So yeah. you have to kind of have this yin and yang. But how can we access parasympathetics you know things like meditation i'm sure it can help and just being conscious of it but what's so interesting about the ice bath is you can feel yourself shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic in real time because the sympathetic response when you first expose yourself to cold is very apparent yeah what, what happens <gasps> you know you're freezing and th that is in, in a perfect contextual example of a of a sympathetic response, yep. your body's like, holy fuck, it's cold. You start hyperventilating. You want to get out. You, you, you get super, super tight. But if you just, after practice, you just learn to accept the cold. You remind yourself, I'm in a cold tub. I'm fine. I'm not on a door in the Titanic. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to be fine. It's okay. And, you, and all of a sudden, you can literally feel this shift where your breathing rate goes from like 50 breaths a second to like... I'm almost like five, six breaths a minute. Yeah. Like I'm just like, uh, you just feel yourself just melt into that tub. Yep. And I would argue that that is your parasympathetic state. So that just elicits such, not only a physical, but also um, a neurological and psychological kind of recovery and relaxation in, in the cold. Yeah. And so I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. So my master's degree is in biomedical engineering. So, oh, so how did I do? Was I close? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So for me, it's it's really cool to see the the um, I guess the physiological aspects of the human body mixed with the kinematics of the body, and we'll do their hand in hand. Yeah, and a lot of people want to try and pretend that like mental health and physical health are two different things. They're not. They're they're completely complementary. For sure, you can only push one so far if the other one is is, is is growing as well. And if one's inhibited, the other one's inhibited. They work hand in hand. Yeah, and I think that actually brings up a good point to talk about like cortisol levels. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, the more stress, the higher cortisol. And that's not only of mental stress, but the physiological function, your anatomical output is way lower when your cortisol levels are that high. So I think... Are you familiar with, with cortisol and how all that works? Yeah. So uh, if you don't mind, because I'm, I'm kind of green with this. Um People who struggle with cortisol, when we wake up, our cortisol is high and it's supposed to regulate and go down. Yes. But most people struggle with that and it stays high. Mm -hmm. What are some things people can do to kind of combat that? That's why ashwagandha is like one of my, if I could pick one supplement besides creatine to take for the rest of my life, it would, you want to cycle. So we can talk about You that. want to cycle ashwagandha? Yeah. So well, what reason, are your dosages? If you don't mind, because I'm usually between 500 and a thousand. I usually take it at night. Yes. So I, that's what I found works the best. I take it at night because are you around 500 milligrams to a thousand to, to a gram. Yeah. It's like I'm taking, so it's yeah. I'm taking two capsules at 500 milligrams. So and, a gram. Yeah. Okay. And like you said, it, so it lowers your cortisol while you're sleeping. It promotes better recovery because you're getting a more restful sleep. And the, the reason, um, managing the cortisol works is because 
your adrenal system doesn't function. It, it, your cortisol levels go hand in hand with that. So your, your adrenal output isn't going to be anywhere near it should be if your cortisol levels are almost blocking your output. It's a, it's a similar relationship to sympathetic and parasympathetic. Yeah. If you're one, you're not the other. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of similar to you're, you're either anabolic or, 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 or catabolic. So you're either, um, you, what was the word you used? Sorry, with the A? I'm sorry. But if, you're, if your cortisol is high, yep. then your adrenals can't be high. Yep. It's one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and that's why cortisol health is so important because it's directly correlated to adrenal health. Yeah. And I mean, you look at like the, you look at the U.S. and you see overweight, obese and all these fast food chains and the grease and these high calorie diets, these high saturated processed foods, these all increase your cortisol level as well as people working these nine to fives and these stressful jobs. So being able to manage that is probably just as important for recovery as sleep, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of lends itself to kind of the, um, how we have a structure and boxes that we check when we're on the way to the gym, there has to be a structure and box that we check for sleep as well. And don't think that just supplementing with ashwagandha is going to do it. You have to do all the other stuff too. Yeah. You have to take a look at your diet. You have to have periods of recovery. You want to do things like cold plunge to promote recovery. You want to be able to manage cortisol by just kind of your day to day as well. Just taking the supplement isn't going to do it, but it will help if you're doing all the other things as well. Yeah. And so the reason you cycle it is, um, yeah, going to that, yeah, cause I didn't, yeah. I didn't realize you cycle it cause you don't cycle creatine. No. Take creatine all the time. Yep. Pretty straightforward. No loading phase, five, 10 grams a day. Take it done. Yeah. But what so, about ashwagandha? So there's been some studies. I can't pull exactly what I, off the top of my head right now, but there, in recent years, they've found that if you are consistently taking it, it can fuck with your serotonin levels. So I, I was, I noticed it because I was taking it for a few months, few months. And then I was like, you, you don't have like those ups and downs as much. You kind of mellow out, but not necessarily like a good way, almost like in a depressive state. And I found out that's because the way it fucks with your cortisol levels, it, it, the, you need the stress. Stress is good, but to a certain point, just yes. like training. And so you want to kind of cycle it. I would say I, w- I would take it for like 12 weeks or like, so two bottles and then take a few weeks off, take a couple months off and then go back to it just so you can kind of get back to that normal cortisol level. Again. Yeah. I'm going to look into that and see what the, what the specific parameters are for being on and off. When I organize all my pill subs in my elderly person pill caddy, um, it's two weeks at a time. So maybe I'll do ashwagandha for two weeks at a time and then maybe take a week or three to five days off and then put it back in. Yeah. I'm not exactly out. sure of like what the, and I'm sure there's an individual to bias yeah. to all of it, Yeah, you know? Um, but I'm so all over the place. It, it, it would be hard for me to actually notice when it was having those negative effects to take it out. So just getting on a schedule like that is probably the, probably the best course of action. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you have a meet coming up in, uh, in five weeks. Um, it t- takes a bit further. What, what's next for you after that? Is that kind of like your one goal in mind right now? Or Yeah, so this is what I'm training for right now. So this is actually going to be my last junior amateur meet. So my goal is how to, does that work? Juniors were under how old? So it's 20 to 23. Yep. So next March I'll be 24 and kind of my goal for next year is I would like to compete in the Arnold. So kind of wrapping things up junior amateur. I want to a high total at the RPS would qualify you for the Arnold. Um, so I, I haven't fully looked at cause they have the XBC meet and then they have, I, I forget if it's USP, USP or cause that's when it gets confusing. Like what meets qualify you for what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, even if it's just XBC, I, I just want to go. Like, it's, I want to compete. I want to compete in the pro. I want to compete against actual competition because I'll, as much as individual sport as it is, I would like to compete with people. Yeah. Like, that's just my nature. So, 
um, yeah, this is just kind of my, I guess my, uh, last youth meet for me. So, and then do you have any, any ideas or prospects when the following one will be? I would probably say try to, for the, uh, the XBC meet next spring. Do you know what a uh, qualifying total is for that? I'm not sure. Yeah. But right now I'm just taking, I don't, I don't like to look too far ahead because I've had a problem with that in the past. I focus on what's at hand right now. It's also a nice way to go about it because if you know what the qualifying total is and it's a bit of a reach, you may be chasing numbers. Yep. And I find it's important to have goals. It's great to chase numbers. But in all honesty, if you just stick to your training, execute your program, execute the lifts, and go for what's there on the day will always, almost always yield a better result than kind of maybe reaching a bit to go for a certain number that you may need or want. For sure. So uh, where can people find you? Um, so you can find me on Instagram at lift.smith. Um, on my link tree, you'll find the podcast. You'll find coaching. I do coaching as well, uh, mostly online. Um, but yeah. And your home gym is uh, Mass Barbell? Uh, Mass Iron. Mass Iron, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mass Barbell doesn't exist anymore. That's right. They just recently closed. Yeah, so they closed in... I think it was, was it February of this year? Because a lot of the equipment that Evolve, so I go to Mass Iron during the week and then I go to Evolve on Sundays. Yeah. Um, Evolve actually got a, a decent amount of their equipment. You're a they, gym floozy, bouncing all over the place. <laughs> yeah, a gym groupie. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so those are my two my two homes. Right on, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I, I assume this is probably the first of many. Yep. Let's plan on doing another one after your meet and see how it went. For sure. Sounds good. Guys, thanks for listening. This is the Top Strength Cast. I'm your host, Strip Cam. Um, keep the feedback coming and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot, guys.